you know it's a good podcast when you want to give joy and damn the negative reviews. I think only of the danger to your ego. Receiving reviews that say, quote, the hosts just make and laugh at silly jokes the entire time. End quote. <laughs> we are what we are. What will we do? We'll cherish this podcast for as long as we live. You sound so final. I am. <laughs> I am Leo. <laughs> Don't let those reviews keep you up at night. Too late. <laughs> yeah, same. I got a tattoo of that bad review, actually. <laughs> Every yeah. bad review we get. We tattoo onto our bodies. <laughs> so don't do it. It hurts physically. It, it hurts us and costs money. Remember we got that review that was like, they curse too much? Yeah. I think about that like twice a week. All the fucking time. <laughs> All the fucking time. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today on the show, we are continuing mm. our sandy, dusty, Ted Talky Journey. Yes. Through God Emperor of Dune. Right. And fair <laughs> warning, folks. Yeah. You're going to want to take the children out of the room for this one. Oh, it is spicy. Not only <laughs> in sexual content, but also thrashy worm content. <laughs> That's right. There are more than one worms thrashing in today's chapters. Hey, oh, hey, but hey, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's take care of some housekeeping, Leo, before we get into it. We're, we're get, yeah. already getting too horny on Maine. True. <laughs> As usual, today's episode will contain no spoilers beyond the pages and books that we've covered thus far. Yeah. So as long as you did your homework, as long as you did the reading for today, you're good to go. Indeed you are. And of course, a huge shout out to our Quisats Hatterack level patron, Case Aiken! Yes! Case! Uh, case! Hmm. This could get deeply sexual, but maybe today we'll just say thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> if I found you in my chamber, uh, uh, the Aikens manufacture the door locks, I would... <laughs> I think we both know what would happen. <laughs> yeah, we, we know where that would go. It would be a heartfelt gratitude. Thank you. That's what it would went. happen. A handshake, a firm handshake, and a smile. Thank you, Case, for your support. And of course, thank you to all of our patrons. Mm -hmm. To all of our patrons, if we found you in our bedrooms, we would say thank you yeah. and shake your hands. Yeah. <laughs> if y'all were all in there at the same time. That's a lot of people. <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of handshakes, if you that's, know what we mean. It's a lot of handshakes, yeah. <laughs> you gotta wear a glove, make sure you're protected. That's true. That's true. <laughs> all right. That takes care of housekeeping. Y'all know the plan for these book club episodes. We will begin with a summary of today's chapters, then we'll dive into a couple of takeaways, and then finally wrap up with some yummy spice morsels. They are cooking in the oven as we speak. Mm. So before we dive into today's reading, let's take a quick break, but don't go anywhere, folks, because we will be right back. 
with more God Emperor of Doom. Yeah, you should stick around for that actual episode. Good idea. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed your break. Thanks for sticking around for the actual episode. Yeah, hell yeah. Through the halls of the Citadel, headed toward his quarters. He's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so mad. And the reason for his anger is because he just left the cafeteria same after a chance standoff with Moneo. Not same. Mm. And Moneo like popped a squat at his little like dining table, right. uninvited, Ooh. just like out of the blue, shoved his like plans that he was looking at aside. So aggro. And was like, bro, <laughs> I've got a fucking message for you, man. <laughs> God Emperor Leto, ever heard of him? Right. Doesn't want you to see Queenery anymore. Mm. Fucking stop. Yep. Quote, <laughs> such foolishness endangers us all, Moneo said. Nori is the God Emperor's intended. End quote. You hear what I said? God Emperor's intended. That's. Did I stutter? Did I say did Duncan I... Idaho? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Duncan's like chopsticks midway to his mouth. Like, this is a lot for <laughs> mid meal. His udon is like slowly slipping off his chopstick. <laughs> the whole time, just slowly falling. Yeah. The pseudo meat <laughs> falling from his chopstick. Now, understandably, Duncan's like, no, I like her. Yeah. Throws a fit. And their argument actually becomes so disruptive, the entire room falls silent. Ooh. It's I got so uncomfortable during yeah. this chapter, just yeah. imagining the major domo and the head of the guard like yelling at each other in a room full of fist speakers yep. who are all just like quietly eating, kind of like <laughs> side eye watching the conversation. Dad and dad are basically fighting, right? Or dad and zaddy. Right. Right. Are, uh, fighting at the dinner table again. Oh, man. Awkward. Very uncomfortable. Very awkward. I got big secondhand awkward vibes <laughs> from this. For sure. Now, when Duncan realizes that everyone's listening, because obviously the room's fucking silent, uh, he decides to double down on the drama and reminds Moneo of what the first Atreides Duke, Leto, I believe, used to say. Quote, they said your liberties all vanish when you look up to any absolute ruler end quote and okay moneo roll credits i mean that's the theme <laughs> of this whole series we just said it out loud listen charismatic <laughs> leaders from the first pages of the first book yeah he's finally dropped the thesis now moneo who had been like trying to urge him to check his like reckless behavior right is like oh shit that's the most reckless thing you could say yep within this imperium you're just saying that, like, the very nature of Leto's rule is inherently broken or wrong. Yeah. And that it's, like, enslaving everybody. And so he says, I wash my hands of you. It's so Ooh. dramatic and delightful. Ooh. And he storms away. He's like, fuck this. I'm out. You're going to die. I'm not going to be a part of it. Let's go. Now, he does let slip in this moment that the worm can overtake Leto. This is something that doesn't seem to be common knowledge so it's pretty significant yeah. that he says it in earshot of all of these people totally and he also mentions that it can overtake him quote at the slightest provocation end quote yeah which we're yeah. we're well past slightest i believe duncan has yeah. crossed the line beyond slightest yeah 
we're into full-on provocation the whole like <laughs> hey don't fucking flirt with her and he's like all right i'm gonna flirt with her and Leto's like fuck and he's like it doesn't matter I'm flirting. Yeah, yeah big deal he's super disobeying it's not a good thing right i also wanted to point out here that it is really notable, right? The fish speakers, someone who chapters ago, a fish speaker almost killed Moneo because she suspected that he was the one that upset Leto. Right. Like their loyalty to Leto is like unimaginably deep. Yeah. And here Duncan is in clear defiance of Leto. You know, he makes a comment, Moneo may not judge, but I do, right? Yeah. Woo. And a few of the fish speakers... Duncan notes, they kind of smile at what he said. Like, we are seeing some of the fish speakers being more loyal to Duncan and more like immediately present with Duncan in his kind of headspace than they are to the God Emperor himself. Right. At least that's kind of how I read it. I don't know. Like I read that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like this unshakable, we are, and maybe this comes back to, they were the wives of Leto, and now they're not because Hui is here, and Hui is the cause of all of this, and they sympathize with Duncan being like, she can't be the wife of the god emperor. What the fuck's happening? And all the fish speakers are like, yeah, we're the fucking wives of the... Right. <laughs> we're the right. wives of Leto. Like, what the fuck? What's yeah. happening? Again, the times they are a-changin'. They are a-changin', folks. And I think your theory is actually reinforced moments later when... Oh, true. We in the apartment is like, oh, one of the fish speakers actually ran and got me because they heard yeah. what happened in the cafeteria. You know, oh my gosh, why so would true. the fish speaker run to Hui and not run to the <laughs> God Emperor and tattletale yeah. on Duncan? I think both happened. I mean, obviously, Leto found out what happened both in the cafeteria and presumably in the bedroom. Right. right. So the information got back to him regardless. But <laughs> I think you are correct that there are some fish speakers who perhaps find their loyalty to Duncan yeah. powerful enough to perhaps maybe sort of kind of question Leto. Yeah. I mean, there's two possibilities, right? It's like either there is real split loyalty and some of the fish speakers in the room are like, I just heard the major domo of the Lord tell Duncan to stay away from Hui, yeah. but I'm going to go get Hui and like summon her to Duncan's chambers right. because they should like have time to talk about this. Like that's, crazy disloyal to Leto. And then there may have been fish speakers in the room who went straight to Leto and said, hey, you should know that this happened. Right. It's also possible Leto just heard the sex sounds down the hallway. He's like, I mean, how could you know? Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> and Monet was like, God, I hope he has his earplugs in right now. I hope he's like listening to the new Sigur Ross album or whatever. Like, I hope he's right. really distracted. Yeah, so there's a few possibilities here, but definitely this <laughs> struck me as really significant, this idea of the fish speakers not being totally loyal, at least 100%. Yeah. Now, back in the present, we were with angry Idaho mm -hmm. as he's like storming through the hall. He's replaying the confrontation in his head, and he's wondering about how the god emperor will retaliate against him for this kind of the continued disobedience. And he also, he is kind of fixated on the weird aspects of Moneo's behavior. Right. It's clear that Duncan understands certain parts of Leto's frustration. You know, yeah. he's another guy who likes Hui. But there's elements of Moneo's behavior that Duncan's like, I don't understand why he was so scared. Like, his fear doesn't make sense to me. What's happening? Right. It wasn't just a fear of death. Yeah. It was a fear of something greater. Right. 
Now, this might come back to the fact that Moneo knows the golden path and Duncan has no concept of it. Duncan's just like, we're two boys vying over the same girl and I got genitals and he doesn't, right? Right, right. Meanwhile, Moneo's like, you could be jeopardizing all of humanity forever. So come on, dude. Totally. The stakes are different. The stakes are very different as we will tell him later. (laughs) Now, Duncan's musings are cut off when he walks into his quarters, his like private quarters, and sees Huinuri laying on the divan, wearing, quote, a shimmering blue gown, which draped itself revealingly around her figure. End quote. I know, God, Frank doesn't, like dwell on certain things but when yeah. certain things are said it pops i read that sentence and i was like oh my god is it hot on this yeah, right. subway Whew. train commute right now it. in new york I city it. and it was I'm hot, imagining it but also i was imagining it and it <laughs> it was working yeah. now Hui is immediately glad to see that duncan is unharmed and she basically says she's here to talk about what's been going on between them and he's like what do you mean what's been going on between us and she's like bro come on the unreleased sexual tension the like (laughs) ready to snap the camel is weighed down and is about to die and you're like tickling the back with the straw you're like ooh, is this gonna break your back or not (laughs) the camel's like please don't (laughs) anyway the camel's later basically (laughs) and although she is kind of coming on to him pretty strong like it's about time we address this Right. He's kind of resistant. He's like, oh, this is crazy. Like, yeah, I've been breaking directions from Leto. I've been not following instructions, but I've been like more or less towing the line. You know, like I've kind of, we haven't slept together. Right. right? Yeah. This is a crossing of the Rubicon that perhaps even Duncan is a bit hesitant about. Yes. Yeah. And despite her revealing figure, and then she gets close to him and there's like a honey milk smell on her breath. And I'm like, you're smelling her breath breath how hard is she breathing (laughs) she pushes her face into his like abdomen it was something that caught me i was like how close is her face to him right now anyway she's persistent and she even talks about some of the similarities that we talked about in previous episodes high five to us top marks promise we weren't looking ahead i just recently (laughs) did the reading (laughs) and specifically regarding how she was maybe designed by the ixians quote They made me too well, she said. I was designed to please an Atreides. Leto says his Duncan is more an Atreides than many born to the name. End quote. Mm. Which is such a, I don't know, validation of Duncan's character. And I'm sure for Duncan Idaho, that must be a tremendously emotional thing. Yeah, to hear his loyalty is to Atreides. And clearly he really respects who the Atreides are and what they stand for. For him to be right. told, you deserve the name more than most people born to it, is wild. Yeah. And then they fucking fuck. <laughs> and then they Boom. get down. And it's like, what? okay. I just have to say the audiobook in this section goes fucking hard. What? No. The guy's like nearly moaning these words in the narrator in the audiobook. Oh, shit, really? When it gets to the point where they're like laying in bed and he's saying, love, love love wow the the narrator is like moaning (laughs) yeah and yeah i was like oh god should i be listening to this in public what the fuck yeah 
wow, I had no idea. Guess I have yeah. some. Yeah. So homework for to the do. folks who haven't checked out the <laughs> audiobook, maybe specifically check out this chapter. Yeah. On your Bluetooth speaker <laughs> in the middle of a public park. Just share it with the world. That's right. Share that love, love, love with the world. Now, to your point, once the deed is done, they have some pillow talk. Mm-hmm. And the conversation is pretty poignant. They're talking about love. They're talking about right. desire and throwing caution to the wind and all this stuff. And we're going to unpack that in the takeaways because love and the way that love is sort of a weakness for Leto is such a kind of key pillar to this book. Yeah, yeah, it is. So for now, to wrap up this steamy chapter, Hui reveals that this is both the first time and the last time that they'll have sex or be intimate in this way. Wow. Which is what a bummer. A roller coaster for Duncan, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's like, yeah. no, I like I want to, but we shouldn't. And okay, we're doing it. Nice. I can't wait to do this all the time. And she's like, last time. And he's like, oh, what the fuck, man? This sucks, bro. And she also tells him she's going to tell Leto everything. Uh, uh, <laughs> she's uh, like, he's going to find out. Duncan's like, how? She's like, I'm going to. I'm going to tell him. How would he not find out? I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell him about it. I'm going to be like, yo. Yeah. Yep. And she knows that he'll understand. She knows that he needs Duncan and he needs her. And she kind of recognizes what Leto was saying to Moneo in the last couple of chapters. Like he's in a corner. He can't really do anything about this. Right. And this sucks, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And it's also his love for Hui. Yeah. He would not harm Hui in any way. And even she says here, harming you, Duncan, right. would harm me. Right. So he Thus, Leto loves me so much that he will not touch you yeah. because he loves me so much. And also, he recognizes he is inhuman, but I am still human and I still have my human physical needs. Yeah. And so I believe he will be understanding and I believe his love will be enough to protect both of us. Now, regardless of her assurances that they're good they're safe it's risky it's not a good idea unfortunate that it's the last time he's still terrified at what will happen when Mm leto finds out he's like whoa we definitely crossed a line and i'm not safe what are you talking about and also why are you marrying him like he's still he's so caught up on this he's like why would you marry him and yeah when i'm right here babe i'm right here babe with my righteous hard body that you (laughs) specifically was mentioned by frank a few paragraphs ago like (laughs) the hard muscles of duncan idaho and she tries to explain kind of hinting at the golden path but not really saying anything outright and she also mentions leto's sacrifices quote he has larger plans and larger needs needs larger than either of us have end quote once again the stakes the stakes yeah and duncan totally doesn't get it it's clear he's just like in poised coital like he's like vibing and she's like no 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 like here's some like rational stuff and he's just like but babe babe. i just feel like we have such a connection babe did you not have fun like i could go again i can go again 10 minutes it's been like five minutes like let's go again (laughs) yeah he's not getting it (laughs) Right. And in the final words of the chapter, we can see also how difficult this is for Hui. Because again, remember, she was the one initiating their meetings. She's the yep. one that entered his chamber by fucking picking the lock on the door. She right. is the sort of action taker in all of this. She's initiating everything. Right. You can't tell me she didn't try at least two or three different lingerie <laughs> on before picking the one. Yeah. 
She's like, do I want the green sparkly gown or the blue sparkly gown? Right, oh, blue right. is more like the waters of Caladan. I know he's like a Caladanian name. Let's do blue. <laughs> Let's do blue. <laughs> and you're totally right. Like, clearly this was sort of an intention of hers. And it's not because she just wanted to do a favor for him. Like, it's clear that she really, really wanted this and that she right. really also loves Duncan, which is yeah. a strong admission. Like, she loves Leto. But she also loves Duncan. She's clearly right. a poly queen. And it's difficult for her. Like this decision to commit herself to the God Emperor is really, really difficult for her. And in her own way, she's also making a sacrifice for humanity. Quote, I never thought it would be easy to serve God, she said. I just didn't think it would be this hard. End quote. Mm. <laughs> she said as yeah. she stroked his leg. He's like, it sounds really emotional what you're saying, but I, I'm I'm horny again. I don't know what's happening. All I heard was hard. All I heard was hard. And yeah, <laughs> can you blame me? I also wanted to point out here, we often fixate on Leto and his sacrifices and the golden path and all this stuff. But it does seem like a recurring pattern. The sacrifices that Ganema had to make in order for Siona to even exist. Like Ganema had to decide to be a breeding Atreides for Leto's yeah. golden path to work. Right. And we think about characters like Faradin, who also had to sort of acquiesce to Leto's demands. And we yeah. think about characters now like Queen Ari, who's also making sacrifices. Like we so often talk about these Atreidean people, Leto Atreides and Paul Atreides, but I'd be willing to bet in my own kind of personal summation that they wouldn't be able to do what they've done without the sacrifices of all these other really important characters who kind of totally see what they're doing and say, yeah, I'm going to help them out. And totally. I think it's easy to look at Dune as sort of a story about these like individual superheroes getting all this shit done on their own. But it's a nice reminder in this moment that characters like Queen Ari are the reason that characters like Leto can do what they do. Absolutely. As much as it is a story of the Atreides and the big guys, it's also about the little guys that make it all possible. Okay, let's talk about chapter 36, our second chapter today. Indeed. We are back yep. with Leto and Moneo, another meeting, <laughs> this time down in the crypts. Yep. And this one, equally as tense as the last one. <sighs> they have Moneo. <laughs> <laughs> The sexual Leto is tension. like, we should talk about this tension between us for the last few weeks. Moneo's like, that's right. Uh. Um... <laughs> now, Moneo is terrified. Yeah. He is shaking in his boots in this meeting. He's been expecting it all day. The summons finally came and he's shitting himself, basically. Right. Moneo is worried that Leto has learned everything, not just the nonsense that went down in the cafeteria, but also what happened in the bedroom. Right. But much to Moneo's surprise slash relief, the conversation actually begins on Duncan's poor managerial skills. Basically, he's not doing a great job as the leader of the fish speakers. Rumor has it. He's been going around asking like weird personal questions of the fish speakers about their past. Who are you? Where are you from? Where's your family? What do you remember before being a fish speaker? All of the things that I, assume by the time you graduate fish speaker school are a bit irrelevant to your life like i don't imagine many fish speakers have strong personal lives and a strong work-life balance yeah it is service to the god emperor unquestioningly 
and Duncan is probably digging up some uncomfortable parts of their past. I do want to say I loved the explanation for why he does this because Leto mm-hmm. mentions he does that because of the early Atreides training. Right. That you have to know how people live their lives and how their lives are actually working for you to be able to... To govern them, basically. It's government for the people, by the people. Like, yeah, the measurement that's, that's of a their core value is found yeah. in the lives of the governed. So it's like he's investigating the fish speakers because it's the only way that Duncan knows how to assess the quality of governance. Yes, right. Which is Absolutely. which also is like a very quiet, you know, tip of the hat to Plato Atreides the first. Almost certainly was the sort of duke to like walk around his town and be like, "Hey, Castle Caledon, random guy, like, how are you doing? What's your life like?" Because yeah. that's going to give me indications on how I'm doing. It's cool. Yeah, it's a very idealistic democratic mindset yeah and the entreaties have certainly embodied that and duncan has inherited some of that mindset the best way i know what's going on around me is to talk to the everyday person right. and get their take on it now the conversation of course returns to how quickly they can get a replacement because at this point leto is way fucking over this duncan in particular let's get the replacement asap it turns out asap is at least two years from today. Because again, making a Gola is difficult. Supply chain issues, COVID-19, you know, COVID, yeah, everything right. was delayed. Yeah. Right. The Suez Canal's blocked again. <laughs> again? You know how it is. Uh, again. A guild highliner perpendicular in perpendicular. the canal. Embarrassing. Right. Embarrassing. Embarrassing look for the highliner. <laughs> embarrassing look for the guild indeed. And all of this greatly annoys Leto. He's already super on edge during this meeting. He's already pissed. And this is just one other thing to add to that list. Now, Moneo is like, oh, shit, he didn't bring up the whole sex thing. So maybe this is all that he's annoyed about. It's just like a general annoyance with Duncan. Yeah. And so he kind of probes further. He asks, Lord, why does the Duncan always act in this rebellion way? Why do all of the Golas become rebellious in this way? And Leto uses this opportunity to launch into a mini TED talk about the Atreides and how they've always governed by the will of the people and for the people, as we talked about. And this Atreides thinking means that the Duncans always believe that, quote, you cannot do wrong in the name of right, end quote. And thus, when these Golas show up and they witness all of the wrongs that Leto is committing, or at least what they believe is wrong... They simply cannot wrap their minds around the fact that this Atreides, this god worm, must be doing something right. Yeah. Because again, you cannot do wrong in the name of right. Which is a very sort of pure and I would say a bit naive yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mentality to have. I was going to say, it reminds me, and I know that this parallel is very easy to draw, but like the whole Ned Stark thing, refusing to play yes. the games of Shadows and Whispers and then being right. killed for it. But that's obviously like archetypical of the Leto Atreides type. Definitely. And honestly, I would say Frank probably is one of the establishers of this archetype of the like noble head of house who is too good. Too good for this world. Too good for honestly. this world. Like too yeah. upholdant of moral rules to survive in a universe of backstabbing and sabotage. And also Leto to Atreides looking at the whole fucking universe and all of time is going, yeah, you need to bloody up a room of saboteurs sometimes. Yeah. You have to murder right. some people before the crime is done sometimes. 
because it's yeah. the brutal reality of the universe and that like rigid moral code is only useful in like maybe the microscopic view of a single lifetime or i don't know right. where, how he would define its utility but certainly duncan is lacking the perspective that leto has which is like not nah, you got to play dirty sometimes yeah and this line feels a bit meta as well because i myself have been guilty of discussions on this podcast reading this book and being like i don't know did leto have to what isn't there a better way for him to teach this lesson <laughs> yeah. couldn't he have been nicer about it and this almost feels like a rebuttal from frank being like shut the fuck up Abu. <laughs> you're talking like a real duncan yeah. right now like yeah. maybe you shouldn't do any wrongs in the name of right but sometimes you have to yeah and even the idea of right and wrong just broadly is so broadly fixed speaking. in the subjective yeah. individual evaluation of what right and wrong is yeah and duncan being like you cannot do wrong in the name of right but you can get like blackout drunk on spice beer and yell accusations at someone before it's like you can act like an asshole in certain circumstances and you can do questionable shit but it's like part of the error is in asserting your evaluation of right and wrong on this yeah. like universal scale where later right. it's like you it's too simplistic yeah. it's here's a template and i'm gonna cram it on the world yeah. yeah 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 it makes me think of our mechanical universe conversations from the past episodes totally everything must be cause and effect so that fits into the template i'm gonna cram it onto everything historical events and life and purpose and, yeah but life is messy you know paul himself has said that the universe is beyond logic right and so you can't cram some sort of template onto it without nuance right yeah there has to be flexibility or even religions giving you this kind of absolute good and bad, but that everyone has yeah. their subjective experience with religion and institutions, which we'll talk about. Absolutely. Saying, hey, you millions or billions of believers and followers, you have to adhere to these rules regardless of circumstance. And then, of course, no one fucking does in every circumstance, at least. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, back to the chapter. Moneo much like us, has been diverted by this TED talk yeah. into a tangent. It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting, of course. And Moneo's like, oh, shit. This TED talk has lulled me into a false sense of security, and the worm is still right there! Oh my god! Yeah. The signs of the worm are still there, and they're getting worse. Because, again, Leto, very agitated at this moment. And Leto, in his anger suddenly hits Monea with one of his classic life-or-death pop quiz questions. And this one's about religious institutions. And the major domo doesn't quite know the answer, or he's so frightened that he can't think logically. He basically just starts to retreat and step away as Leto sort of rages and rants about religions and the Duncans and Moneo's standing there frozen in fear, basically accepting his death. He's like, fuck, this is it. This is the moment I'm going to die. Yeah. And we'll talk more about this moment in particular and about Leto's rants on religious institutions and the Duncans a little bit later in our takeaway because right. there are some ideas worth picking apart here. For now, let's wrap up this chapter. Chapter 36 ends as Leto reveals that he had actually intended to mate Hui with Moneo, but now it's too late. And this is the moment where we, the reader, and Moneo go, ah, oh, fuck. I guess he did find out about Duncan's sexual exploits. Right. 
He must have heard down must the hall, have heard. echoing through the citadel. <laughs> echoing loudly <laughs> through the surreal, I'd imagine. Did he make that headboard louder, or is that just Duncan Idaho? Oh, it's Duncan Idaho. Okay, yeah. yeah. It wasn't creaky before, but now yeah. it simply won't stop creaking. <laughs> the worm finally overtakes Leto at the end of this chapter. He starts violently thrashing and rolling about the crypt throwing himself actually within centimeters of Moneo. (laughs) This dude fucking saw his life flash before his eyes here. Uh Moneo runs screaming from the crypt as Leto is causing a major ruckus behind him and yells out after Moneo. Leto screams, quote, the test Moneo, I will test Siona tomorrow. End quote. It's so scary. Also because we've seen... Leto on the verge of the worm kind of twice and once he kind of recovered and then the second time Moneo got out of the room before it took him over but yes in those two previous times Leto kind of retreated back into himself he like got further away right the voice is hideously distant in this situation he's like lightly kind of teasing Moneo at times he's like what do you think religious institutions do and Moneo's like what the fuck is happening? Because it's like, right. it's a disconnect of the worm is approaching, but Leto is also present and there. And the idea that it's as he's speaking, you know, he says, will you die and be forgotten as dust or something like that? And even yeah. as he's saying that his body throws itself violently and murderously mm-hmm. off of the mm-hmm. cart. And that's really fucking scary. I can't decide what's scarier. The idea of Leto just being there present and like, oh, don't mind me. I'm just trying to kill everything in the room. I'm just here. Yeah. Oh, isn't this fun and dramatic? You know, like him being casual and present as like a consciousness inside of this thrashing murderous body mm-hmm. or him being this kind of distant sheltered in the past of some past life as he's he knows his body's going to wreak havoc for a bit. So he's like, oh, I guess I'll go on a safari of the past or whatever. I don't know. Both are pretty scary, but this is the Both first time we're seeing it, yeah. and it's I did not like it. <laughs> I was like, I did oh, not like this it. is scary. <laughs> yeah. Even the wording, Moneo screamed and ran. You know, yeah. can you imagine Moneo screaming at the top of his lungs and running? That's terrifying. Yeah. No, and it's also that sentence, without any warning, even as he spoke, Leto's body convulsed in a thrashing roll, which heaved him from the cart, the speed of it, the monstrous violence threw him within centimeters, centimeters of Moneo, comma, who screamed and fled across the crypt. It's like, yeah. as I read that sentence, I was like, Moneo's dead. Moneo's dead. Moneo's dead. Moneo's dead. Moneo's yeah. not dead. Moneo's running. Run fucking run for it, Moneo. Run, run, run. <laughs> yeah. So exciting. Terrifying. What an exciting sentence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a thrilling set of chapters for very different reasons, yeah. but a great set of chapters today for sure. Both exciting sexually. Man, what a ride. <laughs> I was turned on the whole I was time. turned on the whole time. <laughs> Every page, I was like, ooh, new tantalizing details. Within centimeters, you say. <laughs> well, that's our reading covered mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. aside reading. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We've got a couple of big old takeaways to talk about. That's right. Right after this. Welcome back, folks. Mm. Let's get into our takeaways for today. Yeah. 
starting with love. <gasps> Let's talk about love uh -huh. because Duncan and Hui do have this very poignant conversation after their bangathon. And as we said earlier, it does speak to some larger themes in the book that are worth slowing down and exploring a bit. Right. So from their conversation, we learn that Hui had a romantic partner in her teens. And she explains that this was a young man who needed her. And being the empathetic giver that she is, that she is bred and trained to be, she gave him her love. Yeah. She would go on to later regret it and then to find out that it was actually a whole fucking test by her Ixian masters. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, she had this experience as a teenager. And so Duncan asks if that's all he is too. Wait a second. Yeah, right. Am I also just someone who needs you and you're just being nice toward? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, no, 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 no. The feelings are mutual. I need you as much as you need me. Quote, we gave joy to each other because that's how it is with love. End quote. Right. And again, admitting that she loves Duncan Idaho. She also recalls how her Uncle Malky used to say that love was a bad bargain because there's never any guarantees with that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But Hui strongly disagrees with this. She says, quote, love needs no guarantees. Right. End quote. Which, man, this brought nearly brought a tear to my eye. It's such a beautiful sentiment <laughs> about love. Yeah. And it's one that personally rings very true for me. I strongly believe that Hui is correct in this moment. Love is not some sort of contract. It's not some sort of negotiation. Love is a leap of faith. And love is ultimately about giving. It's more about giving than it is about receiving. Right. And I think that's what makes Hui so attractive to people like Leto and Duncan. And I think that's where her philosophy of love comes from as well. She is a giver. She is empathetic. She is understanding. She is emotionally mature. And what she says to Duncan here really resonates with me. It's also interesting because she so clearly uncouples, I think for a lot of people, the definition of love and especially the experience of love with a partner, especially in like a heteronormative society, it's coupled with this idea of ownership and belonging and, yeah, and exclusivity certainly. and things like that. And her definition of it and how she's kind of living within this explanation of love is about recognizing maybe the base way that you feel about someone and giving them joy and that idea, as you're saying, of giving and not expecting or demanding reciprocity. Yeah. But then also not coupled with like, I believe that she also loves Leto. And so Absolutely. far what she said has not ruled that out. She's not like, I love you, Duncan, and not Leto, which is kind of the classic in a lot of like romantic books. That's the thing. Who do you love? Very yes. seldom do they go, both of you? What are you talking about? You're right. using a weird definition of love. Like, I like I love both <laughs> of you. So it is yeah. very interesting to think about, like, this book in the fucking 80s is exploring and explaining this concept of love that is so pure. It, it fits within, like, modern polyamorous settings that, like, Definitely. personally I struggle with. But, like, realistically, I know quite a few people who have found happiness uncoupling from older maybe more traditional definitions of this emotion yeah it's like weirdly very forward thinking <laughs> frank <laughs> in the 80s 
Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful sentiment. And I think it can also be applied to a monogamous couple oh, totally. as well, because yeah, yeah. as you're saying, so many relationships and the idea of relationships and so many rom-coms from the 90s and early 2000s that we were all raised on are based on this idea of like ownership. Does he get the girl? Does he Is get that her? her guy? Does, does he does own he her get, at the end right, of this right? fucking show? <laughs> exactly. It's like a victory to be achieved at the end. Yeah. Rather than, as he says, giving joy to each other because we both equally want to. Right. And she actually goes on because that's not the only wisdom about love she has for us, folks. Yeah. She drops this on us too. Quote, you know it's love when you want to give joy and damn the consequences. End quote. Ooh, yeah. that is also something that resonates with me. I mean, I think all of us have been in some sort of like passionate young relationship at some point in our lives, no matter what age. And it's something where there's no comparing that feeling to anything else. Right. When you want to give joy and damn the consequences. To me, that sort of wild abandon certainly also plays a part in love and we believes it as well. Yeah. But also thinking along the lines of the themes in this book, Hui, in this instance, is perhaps only talking about the risk she and Duncan just took, right? Damn the consequences. Bang me on yeah, this bed right yeah. now, Duncan. <laughs> yeah. But we can also sort of zoom out and interpret this line through the lens of Leto and what we know of Leto so far in the book. Because consider the many emotional outbursts that the God Emperor has had since meeting Hui. We talked about it a few episodes ago. Consider also the fact that he is literally going to wed this woman. And Moneo himself has quote-unquote been the voice of reason, telling Leto that Hui is dangerous. She yeah. is a trap set for you by the Ixians. We all know this. It's transparent. And this upcoming wedding, Leto, it's going to ruin your godhood. What will the fish speakers think? There's already whispers in the Empire about this wedding. Indeed. And I would say actually most validly his point that we will unite the people who are after him, right? Like we will be that banner of, oh, he has a weakness. He's not a God, right. all this stuff. His union with her is a uniting, catalyzing element right. of the dangers toward Absolutely. him and toward his Godhood and toward his rule. Absolutely. So in addition to all the other things you mentioned, it's like, this is potentially jeopardizing the golden path. Mm -hmm. And Leto's like, and I love her. I love her. Damn What's the consequences. I'm in love. And I think that's big because Leto also sees love in the same way that Hui does. And of course, she would connect with him on that level. They would never be in love if that wasn't the case. But I think Hui's definition here gives us some greater insight into just that larger theme about love and love being Leto's greatest weakness, something that he has admitted, something that Siona found in his diaries, his love for his sister Ganima and the true sadness he felt at her passing. Yeah. It is the crack in his armor. And Leto is well aware of that. Siona is aware of that. And I would wager Hui and Moneo, the people closest to him, the people perhaps that he loves the most, are also aware of that. And I think given the definition that Hui gives us of love in this chapter, we can really start to understand Leto's sacrifice even further. Because we know the many physical, emotional, mental sacrifices he's made in the name of the greater good. But here is a risky emotion that he's also had to be careful about. This emotion makes you 
want to give joy no matter the consequences. And as the caretaker of all of humanity's future, he's got <laughs> yeah. to worry about some consequences. Yes. He can't just willy-nilly do what he wants. And so an emotion that makes him feel that is dangerous. I mean, look at Paul. All of Messiah. Paul saw everything Leto saw and decided on Chani instead. Exactly. Love. Like Leto was born of someone damning the consequences. Exactly. And 100%. that's where he's at. He's like, now I have to be the one to make the sacrifice. And what we learned last episode, he is loved loved capital l every one of his companions and it right. was awful to lose them and that is a consequence and damn it it doesn't matter as much as leto bemoans losing all human emotion blah 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 it's also clear that like love has been something that has been there since he was a kid absolutely since he was a fully human kid and it's his weakness in many ways and it's been sort of his closely guarded secret until siona stole the journals in many right. ways and as he tells siona in their meeting like yeah the galaxy will know and they will know that his weakness is his love yep. and that's another consequence that damn it you know whatever yeah and they'll be able to use it against him yeah another instance that i was thinking of that really illustrates how love could be dangerous for the god emperor yeah to really wallow in too much is back a couple of chapters ago after that bloody attack on the embassy where he didn't know whether Hui had survived. After that attack, Leto and Hui are talking and he gives her the option to back out of the wedding. You know, this is how dangerous it's going to be when you're married to the God Emperor. You're free to back out of this. I'll give you that choice. And in the moment, he's really struggling with his desire to protect her. The best way to protect her is to distance her from himself. Yeah. But also his deep love and affection for her. He also wants her close. And he recognizes the danger in this thinking. Quote, The aching pulse within him had to be calmed. In itself, it was a danger to him and to the golden path. End quote. Yeah. Wild. Kind of putting clear words for us there. If he lets go of the reins too much and allows himself to fully love Hui and damn the consequences and allow himself the normal human desires of love and affection to give and receive it who knows what'll happen with the golden path he has to tread lightly and carefully and in that way he is very human right every human in history has wanted and deserved love and leto's no different the only difference is the choices he's made the sacrifices he's made the wrongs he's chosen in order to create the right path for humanity right he has to be much more careful than any human in history because if he allows himself to love and be loved with wild abandon it endangers everything no pressure <laughs> no pressure no pressure no <laughs> pseudo meat steaks nothing yeah ah it's wild stuff love is such a big theme of this book and i think Hui's words here are beautiful and Again, in a great way, tell us so much more about Leto as well. Very true. Well, that's our first takeaway. Mm -hmm. Our second takeaway is this kind of second mini sort of TED Talk thing that Leto goes right. on about the kind of master-servant relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, before this angry TED talk, Leto explains that all of the Duncans take issue with basically the same thing. They have problems with Leto because they believe the God Emperor has taken the universe hostage. Yeah. Sort of those naive thoughts that Siona voiced in Goi Goa become the sort of like operating belief of Duncan as well. Like, oh mm -hmm. yeah, no, we're all prisoners. And mm -hmm. we also see then where Duncan has evolved in his personal journey through this book, where in Goi Goa, he's like, that's not, you can leave. What are you talking about? And now he's like, but I want to see her, you know, <laughs> like he's also finding himself now hitting the limits of what Leto does and doesn't allow. Yeah. And Leto explains in this chapter how no one can succeed by taking hostages. No one can succeed. It is a form right. of enslavement. Mm -hmm. And the universe does not allow for this human to own human situation. Right. No institution or government can survive long doing that. Again, because of maybe some constant quality of the universe. He says the yeah. universe will not allow it. And I take his word because he's seen quite a bit of the universe. Yeah. Or human nature, you know. Yeah, or the quality of human nature, indeed. And <laughs> Monet was like, Th thanks for mm -hmm. the, I appreciate mm -hmm. you telling me that. That Thank you. Thank you, sir. Right, right. And Leto's like, don't fucking thank me. <laughs> Be smarter. Fuck. <laughs> and he's like, pop quiz. <laughs> Oh no! Pulls out his Glock, loads it, puts it to his head. <laughs> this is Muadib's Glock. That's right, bitch. <laughs> On your knees, Moneo. Answer this fucking question. <laughs> what do religious institutions perpetuate? Moneo's like, oh, no, no, it's no, Muadib's Glock. I read Glock. the wrong chapter last night. <laughs> I thought it was being tested on chapter 11 in chapter 12. <laughs> and Moneo's, as we said, shaken in his boots, just mm -hmm. shaken. Mm -hmm. And Leto answers his own question. <laughs> it was a trick question. <laughs> Quote, religious institutions perpetuate a mortal master-servant relationship, Leto said. They create an arena which attracts prideful human power seekers mm. with all of their nearsighted prejudices, end quote. Woo. Heavy Bars. Bars, Leto. <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy. It is heavy. It's a big idea. It's a big statement. I honestly do not blame Moneo for not nailing that word for word. It's yeah, a lot. Yeah. And he's setting up this idea that religious institutions establish a hierarchy. They create right. within mortals, within the mortal realm, this who's more powerful than who. And yep. there are the people who serve and the masters who rule, but all underneath God, like underneath right. this concept of God. Right. And naturally, this attracts the power hungry. Like what this is like, oh, look, there's a position that I can take where I'm still a human, but I get to rule all those humans. Fuck yeah, let's do it. Mm. And they then can place themselves in these ruling positions. They can work their way toward it. I remember seeing a video, CPG Gray did a really great video on YouTube about if you wanted to become the next Pope, how to do it. Oh, really? He literally outlines the steps. And granted, it's a lot of like being elected by people and playing the political game. And you have to be like, you have to have a couple of doctorates and it's like a whole process. But okay. it was funny to me because part of me was like, you can do that? <laughs> like that's, 
Right. What? Like, hope can be a career path is yeah. what you're telling me? Yeah. <laughs> like your kid could be like, daddy, I want to grow up to be a pope. And you're like, all right, <laughs> we're not Catholic. So we'll see how this works, but <laughs> let's get it done. Then you like, you could, <laughs> you could do that. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. That idea is really interesting to me. And I also want to double down on Leto's point here because mm-hmm. I was raised, again, I was raised Tibetan Buddhist. It's not really a theistic belief system. Some are, some aren't. It varies wildly. Yeah. But I've seen institutional religions from an outside perspective my whole life. And I've always fucking wondered at that because like, I don't have issue with an individual having a personal relationship with whatever deity revealed themselves to you as a person, right? You say, I and Vishnu have this relationship, or you say, I and Jesus have this relationship, or you say, I and Allah, or whoever, whoever yeah. the, the deity is. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, dope, cool. But then religious institutions will put someone, just another fucking guy born in goddamn johnson city texas on uh-huh. stage the most holy city the most holy of cities <laughs> with a population of 1200 i googled small towns in texas and they'll scream god spoke to me and told oh, me to tell you these things yippee guy put your money in the bowl god needs your 27 dollars and 50 cents and i'm like what the fuck is this like Yep. Who is this deity who is deciding that guy gets a private jet, like a fancy watch? Why is the message of this deity, we should go back in time like 35 years to when men were really the rulers of everything. And there wasn't all this yeah. question of equality and, oh, people should be able to love who they love. Ew, gross. My deity <laughs> thinks that that's <laughs> bullshit, as I was told by that guy who right. has a private jet who stands on stage and yelled at me. Right, right. I don't understand. Like, no judgment to personal faith, but when you're in like a room full of people and you're just being told what to think, it's always rubbed me the wrong way. And so yeah. looking at this message from Leto that he's saying, oh yeah, the institutions perpetuate a master-servant relationship among humans. It, they right. create systems in which people rule people as masters and servants, which is a type of slavery. And it's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of how it seems. Right. Why didn't this book fix society in the (laughs) 80s? (laughs) So weird, so strange. Also, I wanted to add that I think a lot of people, or at least folks that I've spoken to both online and in person, will often write off Dune as a series and these books because they are deeply religious and they're like, oh, this is an anti-religion series. Frank Herbert hated religion and hated God. Sure. I would argue that that is both incorrect and also an oversimplification. Yeah, it's kind of a straw man. Because as Leto, once again, is speaking here and saying directly, it is the institutions that create the master-servant relationship. Yeah. Leto is not speaking out against any God and not making any statement on God is real, God isn't real, religion is bad, religion is good. Leto in this instance is saying the fucking institutions are the ones that create this false master-servant relationship and enslave people to other people, and that in and of itself is abhorrent. It goes against the very nature of the universe, against the very nature of human beings 
to be enslaved in this way. So I would argue that the problem that Frank slash Leto have with religion is not the religions themselves. Frank is inspired by many different religions in his books all throughout. Yeah. It is the institutions that prop up around the religions. It is the false messiahs and the, dare I say, charismatic leaders that many (laughs) religions prop up. Yeah. That Frank and Leto take issue. First time we're hearing of that term. (laughs) What what an idea. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like if I was in charge of a religious institution, I would want to make synonymous your questioning of me a questioning of God. Right. It's almost like if I wanted to stay in power, I would make it a cardinal sin for you to question the validity of my institution. Yeah. It's almost like when religion and government are in the same cart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You don't notice the cliff until you're over it or something. Yeah. Whatever Benny Jesuit Whatever that Benny Jesuit axiom was. (laughs) Fucking, that was four books ago. I can't remember. Good reference. That was pretty good. No greater tragedy could befall all of humanity to fall into the hands of saviors. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Now, Leto goes on. Right. You thought he was done spitting bars. Nope. He's got more. Quote, the Duncans know in their hearts that I have deliberately ignored the admonition of Muhammad and Moses. Even you know it, Moneo. End quote. Mm -hmm. And Moneo, shitting his pants, (laughs) <laughs> is like yeah n- no wait i uh, yes <laughs> sure <laughs> like has no idea he's confused right this whole chapter leto's saying his things and moneo's just like can i run now is it yeah would he be upset if i ran because i want to run mm-hmm. maybe if i mm-hmm. run slowly <laughs> maybe if right. i walk out <laughs> once again leto answers for him explaining what this admonition is what this mm-hmm. admonition from Muhammad and Moses is, quote, you are servants unto God, not servants unto servants, end quote. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. If there is a concept of God, if you worship a God, you are a servant unto that God, not unto humans who yes. claim to share that God with you. Yeah. And Leto's ignored that admonition. He's done his own thing, right? Right. And he's created servants. I think one of the reasons this is also triggering for Leto is because Moneo just keeps saying, yes, Lord. I'm your Thank servant. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. You've enlightened me, Lord. You know? Yeah. And he just keeps saying... You're God. You are my God. You are God. I serve Leto's God. Like, and Leto's I'm like... die in like 600 years. What are you talking about? <laughs> Exactly. Leto's literally like, you are part of this institution that I've built up. Who created your religion, motherfucker? I did. <laughs> yeah. So you're just doing what I'm telling you to. You know, it, it's very annoying. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Which one oh, do you want to hear? Right? Whichever. Yes. Whichever you want to hear. I'll say it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we've joked before and talked before about how Nela and Moneo and the servants of Leto are all just like sort of yes-anding zombies. And this drives Leto insane because he needs to teach humanity to not do that. And it's the rebellious people like Siona and perhaps even Duncan that Leto admires more. Or like young Moneo, who was a rebel. Young Moneo, right, who's now been squashed. It's that movement like Stilgar became a bureaucrat under Paul. It's that movement of the strong, independent mind who is exactly who you need in a system that you want to like make sure it's working for the good of all. 
who then deteriorate under that system of power and right. become under the, the sort institution. of groveling, mindless sycophant that they are. Yeah, absolutely. So let's try and land this big idea because we've gotten into some heady stuff. Even this mini <laughs> TED Talk has exploded into a big conversation as it always does with Leto. Yeah. But what I'm reading here, yeah. outside of the things we've already talked about, about religious institutions, I think what Leto is trying to say here is that the Duncans instinctively know that he is not God. Yeah. And they reject the very idea that an Atreides would even claim to be a god. That is perhaps outside of their nature, or that they would commit all of these wrongs in the name of some godly right. And Leto himself fully recognizes this. We've talked about this throughout the book. He right. knows he has created this false religion, and he is not any sort of deity. But he also knows that it is his role in the Golden Path to play a deity and prop up this false religion. Again, Leto is a reminder to all of humanity against the dangers of power-hungry tyrants and self-proclaimed messiahs who trap humanity in their charismatic leadership. He is serving as the ultimate and the final lesson in this regard. And servants like Monea and Nela, as we've discussed, can't see through this charisma. They're just like, yes, Lord, no, Lord. What is that? What do you want me to say, Lord? <laughs> yeah. But people like Siona or the ever-skeptical Duncan Golas do see through the facade, do see through Leto's godhood to the truth that we, the reader, understand because we're in Leto's head. We know that he is doing this as part of a larger lesson. And the Duncans instinctively understand that this is not right. They sort of instinctively perhaps already know the lesson. It's also funny because I think for all of the times we've seen Leto directly asked, are you God? He's been like, they say I am. <laughs> he's and never said yes to his he's, credit. Yeah, yeah, he's not being like, yes, I am God. I mean, yeah. he certainly acts the part during Oak and during these different situations. For sure, for sure. It's almost like he is betting on the rebellious people to like call his bluff all the time. And then they begin to and fail. Does. And then Nayla and Monea just kind of go, no, I'm pretty sure he's God. Yeah, no, no, yeah. he's God. He's God. Uh, he's oh, God. No, you right, God? Right. And yeah. he's like, they say I am. And they're like, that's not a no. Uh, that's not a okay. no, baby. He's God. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's Maybe. a great point. Leto's like, all right, guess I'll try again next time. Yeah. Yeah, good point. I also wanted to highlight another angle here because mm -hmm. I was thinking about all this, right? To your point. I don't think Frank is writing against God, against religion. Yeah. He's yeah. writing against religious institutions. And one of the sort of common denominators here is that like, even within Christianity, you have lots of different faiths and sects. And you could say there are different belief systems that kind of culminate in like different gods, almost like different versions of the same God or whatever. Yeah. And thinking about, each person's individual, like what is God to each person? I can't help but think about Moneo on the balcony with Duncan early on. I think it's one of their first meetings says that chance is to Leto quote. That's his God end quote. Like yeah. Leto's God is chance. And so if the Abrahamic admonition that was mentioned earlier, right? To serve God, not serve servants. What does that mean for Leto? 
Leto should serve chance. He should serve randomness and not people. Yeah. In Leto's chapter with Siona, he says his responsibilities to humanity is a type of servitude. It's a type of slavery. Literally, he says, it's a type of slavery. It is my responsibility to serve you all to the best of my lordly abilities. And I would see this like Abrahamic admonition for Leto, meaning don't meddle, let the universe, let the future unfold according to chance. And Leto's ignoring it and saying, no, the golden path, this one possibility, this one future thread is going to be the thread we're on and I'm going to make it happen. And that's also part of his sin against God. That is the wrong. If right is defined as going along with these lordly ad admonitions from these deific figures, his wrong is like, I'm going to ignore the dictates of my God in order to do this thing. And then, of course, from Duncan's perspective, that is inexcusable. You can't do wrong in pursuit of right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I kind of like that angle to all of this as well. The idea that Throughout all of this, Leto does have his own form of faith and his own form of belief. And then with that in mind, there is all of this kind of deeper meaning to some of these sentences. And then once I started thinking about it like that, it becomes notable how often I see certain words repeated in certain places where it says, oh, yes, owning a person is a type of servitude, is a type of slavery. And then earlier he says, I'm a servant of and my slavery to you is this. And it's these words repeated over and over again in these really like meaningful conversations. We know that Moneo has talked about this idea of chance and Leto knows that parts of what he's doing is wrong. He hates himself for many of the things that he's doing. We've talked about that self-hate that he expresses. And I think it's correct that he realizes that he is going against the admonitions of God and God's real prophets by walking around and tampering with chance right. as a false prophet and as a false god. I also tried looking up like what are the commonalities between Moses and Muhammad and like there's certainly some but a lot of it was yeah. just like do right by the instructions of God like do right yeah. do good things and it's like yeah okay yeah so maybe sending fish speakers to like <laughs> murder rooms of people who haven't committed a crime yet it's not the best right hmm. right so to sort of wind down this very long takeaway, yeah. I do want to briefly touch on the question of why, right? Because why does this chapter take place right after the bangathon between Hui <laughs> and Duncan? Yeah. And why specifically does Leto bring up this TED Talk in this current emotional state where he knows that Hui and Duncan have in some ways betrayed him? Right. I think it's because he is legitimately hurt throughout this chapter. Yeah. Leto is hurt and angry and jealous of Hui and Duncan and their romantic intimacy. And I think underpinning some of that is Leto is also resentful of his role as a false god who is denied these human pleasures of love and sex and personal intimacy with another person. Right. He's also, I think, just frankly, really fucking pissed at Duncan. Duncan has yeah. taken a stance here and the stance is fuck that giant worm I'm gonna fuck his girl and that's yeah. a really tough stance for Leto to square with but reading sort of in between the lines 
I also get the sense that Leto is wondering, damn, if I was a real god, this Duncan motherfucker would never dare sleep mm. with my girl. <laughs> but because I am a false god, he has the audacity to do so. Because yeah. these Duncans always see right through my false godhood. Hmm. That's perhaps reading a bit too much into it, but <laughs> I certainly was maybe getting those vibes a little bit during this rant to Moneo. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, as we see at the end of this chapter, it appears that Duncan has certainly thrown some of Leto's carefully laid plans into disarray. One, for instance, is his plan to mate Hui and Moneo. That can't happen anymore. And it does appear that Leto has to make some pivots or accelerate his plans to get the golden path back on track. Mm, yeah. And I say that because of his final words there, even in the throes of the worm overtaking him. <laughs> yeah. He still screams at Moneo, the fucking test is happening tomorrow, bring Siona. Probably wedding the next day. <laughs> Consult my calendar. <laughs> Do I have any conflicts? Moneo's like, no, you don't. And he's like, okay, good. Okay, Thanks perfect. for taking Appreciate you. <laughs> so I think there's definitely a cocktail of emotions running through Leto in this chapter. Moneo is very much on the receiving end of those emotions. He's on the <laughs> receiving end of a TED Talk that I think interweaves into some of that hurt and jealousy and resentment that Leto is feeling, not just toward Duncan and Hui, but also toward his own fate within the Golden Path and what he must do. Agreed. I had one final thought from mm -hmm. this discourse, and it's regarding the first quote. I definitely felt a couple of concepts click together in an interesting way. Yeah. So Leto declares again, quote, that is a form of enslavement. One kind of human cannot own another kind of human. Mm. This universe will not permit it, end quote. Mm. And I found that notable because earlier in his talk with Siona, Leto admitted that his loneliness as right to rule was a type of slavery, using that same word. Quote, my slavery to you, says that I will serve all of you to the best of my lordly abilities, end quote. Although this could seem kind of like a contradiction on the surface level, right? He's saying slavery and ownership of one human over another is not permitted by the universe. And yet for the last 3000 years, I've been a slave to humanity. On a surface level, it's like, oh, hmm, I wonder how he reconciles that. But then he also mentions multiple times losing his humanity and referencing yeah. humanity as a thing that he is now apart from and distanced from. He is no longer human. His humanity is something he misses. And it started to kind of click for me that Leto too, in his sort of checking and balancing the universe and its permissions, had to become something other than human for him to be and become what he is and what he needs to be for the golden path. Yeah. Like he has to become something other than human to find a balance within the universe's permissions regarding that ownership. Mm -hmm. And I will wrap up by saying I missed all of this. <laughs> the first time I read this book, <laughs> I was like, man, this worm is angry. Anyway, next chapter. Right. Pretty incredible how much depth there is. And maybe I'm kind of inventing some stuff and reading too much between the lines, but it definitely feels like this mess of unrelated hyper dense Ted talks 
but yeah. then that these sort of data points start connecting and then it starts feeling like oh shit this is all kind of just one continuous presented idea across right. all these different narrative scenes it's very interesting yeah he has to be inhuman to be able to do some of the dirty work that he has to to impose some of that on the galaxy yeah so he has to find his inhumanity in that way indeed well those are our takeaways today folks a little bit about love and a lot of bit about religious (laughs) institutions baby that's the balance that's the balance we strive for (laughs) a little bit of love and deep criticism of religious institutions yep that's right okay so we have our spice morsels cooking in the oven they are nearly ready yeah they smell great they smell delicious trust us but let's take a quick break let's let those morsels finish up Uh but don't go anywhere folks we hope you're hungry we will be right back to round out today's episode with our spice morsels you need to see you in a minute you need that little bit of char on the top of the spice mm. morsels. Broil mm. them for the last bit. Crunch. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed your break. Hope you built up an appetite because we've got mm. a couple of spice morsels. And the first one, thematically appropriate for this weird transition, our first morsel today, uh-huh. Atreides Dining. Ooh. Yum. Now, getting back to the origins of spice morsels, I read a sentence in the reading and went, that's a, (laughs) those are some details. Let's look into them. Yeah. So the meal that Moneo so rudely fucking interrupted Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was, quote, oddly familiar Atreides chopstick fare of mixed grains, herb seasoned and baked around a pungent morsel of pseudo meat all of it washed down with a drink of clear sidret juice. Okay. End quote. <laughs> and my first thought was pundi rice, because I'm a giant nerd. I was like, dude, pundi rice. <laughs> Obviously, we all oh. know that that's like one of the primary exports of Planet Caladan and brought by a, tra- you know, like, obviously, we know those things. Mm-hmm. And much to my amazement, we haven't talked about pundi rice as like a standalone thing before. Though we mentioned it in Spice Morsels 4 as the source of the rice liqueur that the peasants enjoy getting fucking drunk on on That's Planet right. Caledon. Anyway, right. so <laughs> let's talk about Pundi rice for a second. The Dune Encyclopedia gives it an entire entry. It's like three pages long. To summarize some of the big points, Pundi rice was brought with House Atreides to Planet Caledon and then again to Arrakis. But back in the year 8,677 AG, which is the year that House Atreides was given Planet Caladan. Yeah. And it very quickly became a staple food of Caladan. Like Caladan is a rich, lush planet, but Pundi rice became one of the staple foods. Now, Pundi rice is a variety of annual grass, and it's grown very similarly to rice. (laughs) Seeds are thrown by hand onto soil. After about a month, they are seedlings, and then they are transplanted to fields that are submerged, and then picked and harvested by hand. So we can almost basically picture exactly rice farming, and that's Pundi rice. Now, all of this works, except when House Atreides moved to planet Arrakis, a famously dry and dusty place, the idea of like rice fields, not really an option. 
So at the time, although Pundi rice was served in the like Arakeen Palace at dinner and things like that, it was being imported from Caledon. It was actually being brought from off planet. I wanted to point out though, the rice in this meal that Duncan's eating is almost certainly a type of Pundi rice because by the time of God Emperor of Dune, quote, a new breed of Pundi rice became a staple food of that planet, and quote, that planet Whoa. being Arrakis. So okay. by the time of Leto II's empire, Pundi rice is still a staple food of Arrakis, but it's a new breed that was engineered to be basically like faster grown and requiring less water just because yeah, rice fields are kind of a pain in the ass unless you live in like very specific parts in the world. <laughs> yeah. So all of that's very cool. All of that's very fun. It's nice to see Pundi rice that was with house Atreides in 8,600 AG, right? Like 7,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. Yeah. still being eaten and enjoyed by House Atreides a few planets later. Pretty cool. The other detail in this excerpt is Sidret juice. And folks, this might be a Gamjabar first. Mm. We are going to reference some Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson lore. Wow. I know. I Say really... it ain't so. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> don't worry. There's a bit of a barb in there too. I did think of this as like, listen, Olive Branch. If you out there in listener land like Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, we always say that Frank is first tier canon. Dune Encyclopedia is second tier canon. Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson, third tier canon. Right. We always say that. Well, proof is in the pudding. Today, I was trying to find information about Sidret juice. Sidret used once in Frank's six books. There you not go. mentioned in the Dune Encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. And it is mentioned four times <laughs> in Dune House of Trades. <laughs> Every other page, they're like, mm, yeah. a cold glass of citrate juice. Don't mind mm. me. Slurp. Slurp. They said yeah. out loud. Look, sometimes you gotta, you just gotta get, dig all the way down to third tier canon. Sometimes you do. And I'm not mad at it because, again, it does right. give us some details, gives us some insight. It gives us more of an idea of what Duncan is eating in the cafeteria this day. It's mm -hmm. interesting. So from Dune House Atreides, oh, this feels dirty. From Dune yeah. House Atreides, the four mentions of Sidret juice is because it is loved by young Leto Atreides. That is to say, father of Paul, Leto, Duke, eventual Duke, Leto Atreides, loves Sidret juice. It's his yeah. favorite. And here's an excerpt. <laughs> Quote, a robo table emerged from the floor beside Leto and produced a cold glass of citrate juice. The young man's tastes were known, just as it was known that the old Duke would want nothing but the pipe. Leto took a sip of the tart drink, puckering his lips. End Ooh, quote. Okay. I read that and immediately out loud to myself alone in my apartment said to myself, Robo table. <laughs> <laughs> Robo table. Robo table. Delivers the Sidret juice. <laughs> <laughs> it's so unnecessary. A Robo table delivers the Sidret juice. Amazing. Sweet. Weird that we don't see Robo tables. <laughs> Anywhere, Anywhere in the in books. June, uh, yeah. Oh, so fucking strange. But cool. Okay. So Sidret is clearly a juice produced by a fruit that is on Caladan at the time Father of Paul was a kid, which is neat. Yeah. yeah. And 
I'll point out also that, and this kind of cleanses our palate a little bit of Brian's writing, Robo Table. According to the Dune Encyclopedia, Caladan was abundant with, quote, lush plants full of fruit, berries, and wholesome legumes, end quote. Mm -hmm. And wrapping up this spice morsel, I just think it's fun. First of all, to know that the cold juice that Duncan's drinking is like a tart fruit juice. It's kind of fun. And yeah. knowing the history a little bit of the grains that are so herbed and so seasoned in his meal. But also it's fun to see in the empire of Leto to Atreides on this new planet, you know, thousands of years later, they're still eating food that House Atreides ate 4,000 years ago, you know? Yeah. There's an element here of like, maybe Leto to Atreides really is a sentimentalist. You know, he's housing all of these Atreidean figures in his mind. Maybe he drinks Sidret juice every once in a while from a right. robo table. And <laughs> his internal Leto Atreides the first is like, mm, I love how tart it is as he puckers his lips. Mm. Anyway, that's our first spice morsel. Pundi rice and robo table. I mean, robo. citrus juice. <laughs> <laughs> robo table. <laughs> I love it. A great <laughs> spice morsel. Thank you for digging deep into the waters of House Atreides and third tier canon in, in the murky Ecassian waters. Seventh tier writing. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's talk about our second morsel today. This is a quickie. Yep. Ixian palm locks. Mm. So in today's reading, Hui Nori slips into Duncan's room in her Ooh. lingerie, remember? Woo! She. she specifically slips past the palm locked door. And this got us thinking about the specific technology. Yeah. Duncan, in the reading today, thinks to himself, quote, no one but a few selected guards should be able to open that door, end quote. Yeah. And Hui tells Duncan and us that, quote, Ixians manufactured those locks, end quote, which makes sense. Naturally, yeah. palm lock technology falls within the techie Silicon Valley specialty of Ix. Yeah. So- them having created these locks is totally on brand. And while Frank doesn't dwell on the details of this technology like we would like him to, <laughs> yeah, we did notice a subtle evolution of this tech. And it's always fun to see the progression, the very quiet in the background world building progression of things like this in the Dune universe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So if we all rewind back roughly 3,000-ish years ago. <laughs> yeah. You'll recall that Jessica encountered a similar lock all the way back in Dune when she entered the weirding chamber that Margot Fennering had built into Arakeen Palace. Right. Yeah, the plant room. The plant room. Yeah. Quote, a palm lock must be keyed to one individual's hand shape and palm lines. End quote. Yeah. That's how the tech worked back then. But that did not stop Our Lady Jessica. She gets past it by sort of distorting her palm and applying just the right amount of pressure on the sensors across her hand yeah, to make it look like she has access. Like a Classic palm. Benny Jesuit movie. Nice, yeah. So classic, in fact, <laughs> that breaking palm locks is listed in the Dune Encyclopedia section under Benny Jesuit training. Yeah, it's an advanced Literally course. a class <laughs> that they can probably take yeah. in the chapter house. Yeah. Hacking palm locks 101. How to squish your palm. In fancy ways. <laughs> Regardless, it is notable that in 10,191 AG, in Jessica's time, 
Yeah. The palm locks were only calibrated to one individual. That's right. why she had to use her Bene Gesserit trickery to get in. Right. And even the terminology of the Imperium states that a palm lock is, quote, any lock or seal which may be opened on contact with the palm of the human hand to which it has been keyed, end quote. Right. Yeah. The important part being the singular, the human hand. Right. Not multiple people. So it appears that by the time we meet Duncan and Hui in today's chapter, all these years mm -hmm. later, mm -hmm. the Ixians have maybe rolled out a couple of updates to the palm locks. Nice. And now more than one people can be tuned to the technology, as Duncan says. Only oh. a few selected guards and himself right. should be able to open that door with the palm lock. Yeah. And I guess Hui Nori, because she knows she knows <laughs> the code, the firmware. She knows like <laughs> the dev update code. Yeah, right. She like has like an admin backdoor and she's just like, yeah, okay. Tap whatever. the bottom left corner five times and then <laughs> swipe across the top. Yeah. There's always yeah, one. Exactly. Yeah, it's always something. There's always a backdoor. <sighs> Pretty good. And that's incredible. Great to see the little progression in the tech across the Dune universe. I think it's a lesson that perhaps Apple could learn as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, that's our episode. There it is. That's but, the episode. As always, we have some homework for you. Mm -hmm. Didn't get off scot-free, did you? Nope. Do some reading. And the reading you should do is chapters 37 and 38 of God Emperor of Dune. Oh my gosh. Oh, if you have a different version of the book than us, the reading ends on the sentence, quote, you're, you're just an older model, end quote. Wow. What? No need to yell at your palm lock like that. Goddamn. <laughs> you only accept one user, you <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> you're an older model. That's what I yell. Every day I wake up with my 13 Pro iPhone and I'm like, you're just an older model. You're just an older model. Do you even know that the 15 <laughs> is out already? Do you have an action button? No, no, you don't. <laughs> older Are you model? made of titanium? No. <laughs> you can't go to space, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Filth. Filth. <laughs> Alrighty, that's your homework, dear listener. But before we let you go, we want to remind you of a couple of ways to support what we do here at Gamjabar and to get in touch with us and say hello. And the first and best way to support us here at Gamjabar is to consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Gamjabar. It makes a world of difference. <laughs> we yeah. can give the time that we need to to make this episode, to make this show, to make everything that Gamjabar is as good as it is because of the support of our patrons. So consider joining us. We do give benefits in return, ad-free episodes, early access to these book club episodes. If you're hearing this on the public feed, we recorded this back in the 1940s. So you're late to the party. I'm sorry to yeah, tell you. Indeed. We also have an exclusive Discord where we chat and hang out and people go, hey, the merch store is down again. We go, oh gosh, okay, fine. <laughs> and we we'll go, God damn it. We go, God damn it. Teespring, someone give us a better <laughs> fucking merch platform, please tell us. Anyway, yeah, what are we talking about? Patreon, <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash gumjabar. It seriously means a world to have that kind of support. And if you are in a financial place to support us, please consider it makes what we do possible. That's right. 
And the other great way to support us is to treat yourself, listener. I know, it sounds counterintuitive. Get yourself something nice, and Whoa. it helps us. Sounds like a type of love. It is a type of Give love. Give joy. Give joy. Downtobarshop.com. <laughs> Go to our merch store. Damn your credit card limit, okay? <laughs> well, well, Give joy. Yeah. Give as much joy as you are, are able to. Be reasonable. We've got yeah. art. We've got apparel, bugs, tote bag, so much more. Custom Dune-themed merch. Some beautiful artwork on that store designed with artists that we've worked with and by Leo himself, the talented Ever heard art of me. degree showing itself. <laughs> Ever heard of me? Hope not. Gomjabarshop.com, <laughs> <laughs> folks. A great way to support us and to get yourself something nice. Indeed. I like that we're like, if you're in a financial place to be able to support us on Patreon, consider it. Go to the fucking merch store. Drop $70,000. Buy 200 shirts. Fuck it. Why not? <laughs> Here's how you request a bigger limit on your credit card. Woo! In FAQ. Fuck it. Fuck the consequences, <laughs> as Queen Marie said. Fuck the consequences. I'm pretty sure that's what she said. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We love to hear from you. <laughs> If you have questions, comments, concerns, pictures of your pets, things you hope to see in the merch store, or fucking better merch platforms, God, please tell us if there's a better (laughs) place, because we're so tired of it. Email us. Send us an email. Gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. It's the place to get in touch with us. You can send us an email. We'll respond eventually. Um, We did get an email saying that our merch store was down. We appreciate it. We see all of them very soon. We just reply to them after like six months because we're busy. <laughs> Come to our podcast at gmail.com. That's the place. That's to right. Us. That is right. Well, anyway, I'm going to go try to do a firmware update on my, uh, on my palm lock. And uh, yeah. luckily, yeah, yeah. luckily I've got a cold drink being delivered to me by Robo table. Robo, Robo table. <laughs> Fog machines in the <laughs> friends there is no real ending it's just the place where you stop the recording but this podcast is always one step beyond logic so help spread the word of Wadib and leave us a review on apple podcasts and spotify and be sure to check out the other shows on the lord party podcast network on lordparty.com you can also follow us on twitter and instagram at lore underscore party we're also on tiktok at gom jabbar podcast thank you so much for listening and remember whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.